So good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is February 9th, 2020. Well, you know, this is the Sunday before Valentine's Day. It is. We, we couldn't help but to notice that this Sunday is the Sunday before we hit Valentine's Day next week. So, I don't know, we, we wanted to honor our civil calendar today. We also wanted to honor our venerated saint of promiscuity, love, our, honorated, our venerated and honored saint of love this morning to focus our sermon today on relationships. Okay. I apologize now. I, I repent. I'm turning the other way. I'm teshuvahing from that. Yeah, you're right. That's not right. That's not what we're going to do this morning. Amen. We are not going to bow to a secular civil calendar this morning. Amen. We are not going to bow to a secular theme or a secular principle of pandering to the people. No, that's not what we're going to do this morning. Amen. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what we are going to do. Today, the three men on this stage have a message that has come from our own personal studies in the Word this week. And what we have for you, we know that it's from the heavens. Church, today we got a message. We got a message that began by, as we studied, it pierced our own hearts. It began to move us to tears as we put it together, hearing from the heavens of what He was saying to us and what He's going to say to you. Y'all want the title of today's message? The title of today's message is Path of Victory. The Path of Victory. Let's begin to put this in right context. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we stood up as a church and we confessed. We dragged our sinful nature into the light in front of everyone. But we didn't stop there. That confession led us to circumcision, separating ourselves from our fleshly nature. That led us to conquering so that we could gain a crown. All this morning, we're going to put all these pieces together because where we are headed is down the path of victory. Y'all ready to walk down this path with us? Amen. Let's begin in Psalm 77 and verse 19. Come on, everybody say, there when you're there. We're going to start strong this morning, and we're going to finish even stronger. Amen. Come on, did you get the victory yet? Come on. <laughs> Your path led through the sea. Yeah, it did. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. We don't gain victory this morning when our path leads around the sea. We don't gain victory when our path leads around the mighty waters. You don't look at somebody who's walked in circles around the difficulties and said, Hey, that man, that family, that church, they're victorious. That is absolutely absurd. No, the Lord is leading our path through the mighty waters, through the seas of difficulty, through the difficulties and the opposition in our lives so that we can come out on the other side and we can look at where He's led us and say, you are a victorious church of Jesus Christ. That is who you are. You're defined by that. And 
at the same time, it's not actually our feet there. You see, the pathway is there, but something special is happening. The Lord is empowering us to go through that pathway, through the hardships, and our footprints aren't seen, but we are traveling that path. We can't do this by ourselves. You're hearing the prophecies. You're hearing the tenor of worship today. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the supernatural strength of our God to lead us through that path. Amen. Come on, let's all turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy 1, and we're going to start in verse 22. We're going to see some of these footprints that the Lord has that had gone before us to establish a path of victory that we just hadn't seen. Look in verse Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 22. Say victory when you're there. Victory. Then all of you came to me and said, this is Moses recounting the history of his people. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send some men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route that we are to take and the towns we will come to. See, we hadn't, uh, we don't quite know what's going to be ahead of us. We know that the promised land is there. We are on the precipice. We're on the edge of something great. Why don't you send a few people ahead of us? Why don't you send somebody in to spy out, to scout out the land, just to kind of tell us what the road may be like before we get there? Look at verse 26 of the same passage. But you were unwilling to go. Can I tell you that just you think that you need to know every step before you start taking it? Can I tell you that that's not going to help you anyway? Wow. You have a pathway that's been laid out through the rivers, through the seas, through the mighty waters, and you can't see God's footprints, but He's already established this pathway of victory. You think you need to know every step before you start. Verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. See, the problem is, is once you get there, you got to have faith to go anyway. If you see the next step, you're going to want to see one more. See, how you see it forward is you begin to take the step and God will illuminate the next one because you're on a path of victory. You're unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. Is that, that doesn't sound very public, does it? That sounds like a, a little pillow talk between a husband and wife. That sounds like what a family says about another family. See that? They're grumbling inside of their own dwelling place. You grumbled inside the tent of your own heart. and You said, the Lord hates us. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, you're on the edge of the promised land. You're on the edge of God elevating you somewhere. You're on the edge of something fantastic that he has to keep prophesying to us about. And you're going, yep, I know why God brought us here. He hates us. This is not what we say out loud, is it? It's what we grumble in our own tents. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. I know why he's wanting to elevate because he's wanting to point out all my faults and disqualify me. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. (laughs) Wow. How very magnanimous of you and mature of you. It's someone else's fault that you're feeling the way that you're feeling. If only the pastors would preach better. We're trying. If, If only our brothers would do this. No, no, no. Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say that the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the giants there. Are, are you, are you, are you catching what we're laying down here? The, the first thing off this morning here? The idea that because the land that they're going to go into is better 
and bigger and more. And the, we're asking you, the Lord is telling us during prophecies this morning, you're thinking too big. Your vision is too small. You got to get up and go up. You got to understand that there are giants in the land, but that is a greater victory for the Lord to win through you. Come on. The task is gigantic. Easy for me to say, right? It's a giant task that we have before us. Yes. <laughs> is that right? Y'all, we're family. It is a giant task that's before you. It's a giant task to have a family banner and walk under it. It is a giant task to say, you have to go to a thousand generations. Yeah. This is not just about you, but it starts with you. Man, do you see what the people's hearts are saying here? Because of the expansion, because of the growth, because of the prosperity that God is granting them and saying, come on, guys, here's the land that you have always wanted. It is a promised land for you. They began to lose heart and grumble inside of themselves, saying this is too big a task for us. Come on, let's see what the scripture continues no, Pastor, to say. Pastor, we're, we're, we're so far beyond that this morning. We're, we're so far beyond grumbling this morning. We're so far beyond that pillow talk with just between our wife and I, just between our family. We're so far past that this morning. We are replacing that grumbling with a willing spirit today. There will be no more grumbling in our tents today. You see, we're willing to go up. Whether we can see what it looks like, whether we can actually see the next steps, or whether we have no idea what's in store for us, we have willing hearts today to walk on the path that the Lord's blazing. We're getting better vision this morning, right? The Lord's been calling us to elevate our priesthood. That leads to a perpetual priesthood. Oh, If God has called us to something, that means he's going to help us accomplish it. Amen? Look how this is taking place in verse 29. Then I said to you, remind me again, what was happening in the prior verse, or previous verse? They were grumbling, grumbling in their own tents, saying this task was too gigantic for them. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. Though there may not be actual nephilim in our land we have a nephilim type problem of fear a giant fear lord i know you called me to do xyz i've been trying but i can't do it successfully in my own strength i just don't know what the problem is and that fear begins to speak to you remove your confidence remove your will to keep on trying and all that has to happen is a correction of your vision that vision that is needs to be placed on the path of victory, the path of his victory, not just the path of yours. Look look how this carries out in verse 30. The Lord, your God, who is going before you. you. Wait, hold on a minute. You mean that he is the one that is walking ahead of us, establishing that path of victory so that we can follow right behind him, walking in that same victory? who is going before you, will fight for you. So not only is he blazing that trail, establishing that path of victory, but his strength is actually going to be within us, fighting for us, whatever giant that stands in front of us. As he did for you in Egypt. That's not a small thing. We're talking about the plagues that God put upon that nation, the nation of Egypt demonstrating superiority over the gods of Egypt, right? That's Exodus 12, 12. So pointing back to that, that first moment when they were delivered, what does this look like for you and I? 
Looking back to that moment that you were born again. That moment where the God of Egypt was dethroned from your heart and the God of heavens then took over residence of it. Looking back to how this began can begin to give you encouragement of how God is going before you and how he will fight for you. Then it continues. Before your very eyes and in the desert. So their deliverance, their salvation, God going before them and fighting for them started in Egypt. It led them to crossing the Red Sea, destroying the armies of Egypt, opening up water from a rock and feeding them with manna from heaven. Come on, the God that we serve has ample provision to supply whatever we need and take down any giant that stands in front of us. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. Oh, man. The comfort of our father carrying us through whatever trial it may be, but so that we could be on that same path of victory that he's already laid out for us. And not just some of the way. Not just carrying us three quarters of the way. Not even just carrying us 99% of the way. It continues on. As a father carries his son all the way, all the way you went until you reached this place. The hope of this message is that our obedience and trust in the Lord ensures that he will carry us all the way. He is desiring to lead us all the way, but that requires something from us that we follow him all the way. Flip over a few chapters to Deuteronomy 5 and verse 32. Yeah, victory when you're there. (laughs) So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. As we begin to read these two verses here, think about what the Lord your God has commanded you. Think about everything that the Word of God says and everything that He has spoken to you and spoken to your family. Now, in light of what he has commanded you, the word of God says, do not turn to the right or to the left. Don't go beyond what he's commanded you and don't neglect what he's commanded you. Don't add to what he's commanded you and don't take away from me from what he's commanded you. I'm thinking my mind is racing right now. What have I added to what he's actually commanded me to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? What am I adding to those commands? What have I, what have I switched? I'm going to do this to the neglect of what he's actually commanded me. You see, he's going to hone us in to this pathway of righteousness. He's going to hone us into this path. And so, In the past, when we've stepped off to the right, or when we've had a little detour to the left, he's going to hone us in today. He's actually going to put us on his shoulders. He's going to help us walk through that pathway of righteousness, and he's going to lead us all the way from from right in front of us and show us where that's going. Look at 33. Walk in some of the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. No, that's of course not what it says. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live. Somebody say live. Live. And prosper. Somebody say prosper. Prosper. And prolong your days. Somebody say prolong. Prolong. In the land that you will possess. 
The Lord is going to enable us to walk in all of the ways of his path so that we can possess the land to a thousand generations. Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Deuteronomy 8, 2. It says this, remember. Somebody say, remember. Remember Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way. Hey, church, look up at me for a second. The Lord is leading you all the way. You think you got to where you are now because he didn't lead you to this point? Of course you're here. He is leading you all the way. If he's going to lead you to here, where else is he going to lead you? All the way way. till you fulfill it. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. God is going to lead you all the way where you need to go. It's our job to just follow all the way. Amen. Not turning to the right. Not turning to the left. But actually just following the path that he's got for us. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert. Oh man, through good times, through bad times, through struggles, through the things that are actually building in us. In the desert these 40 years to humble you. Yeah. Anybody felt humbled lately? Since we've been talking about elevating our priesthood. There. We've been talking about confessing and circumcising our hearts so we can get to conquering and the crown. He's humbled you and tested you in order to know what was in your heart. Who needs to know what's in your heart? He knows it. What you are now seeing in your heart was what was already there. He's humbling you and testing you. He's leading you all the way so that you can follow all the way because He wants you to know what's actually in your heart and not what you've pretending been pretending that it is. Wow. Hoping that it is. Right. Wishing that it is. Right. In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His command. See, God is going to lead you all the way. That should get a better amen. God is going to lead you all the way. So we just have to follow all the way in what he gives us. You know what I see in the house? I see men and women. I see families that God has led to this place. And he didn't lead you to LCM to be disqualified or to fail. He led you to LCM so you could be thoroughly equipped to be led all the way. To follow all the way. You know, the good work that I've seen happen in the transformation of Chris Reosor and Joy Reosor, he led them here divinely. And he's been leading them day after day, humbling them at times. Chris, Joy, what God started inside of you that is taking place right now in the lighthouse, he's going to lead you all the way to the completion of that vision and that task. JJ and Natalie, what God began by bringing you here to LCM, He's going to lead you all the way in completing the mezuzah that's for your life, restoring the broken souls that he puts in front of you. If it's true for these families, isn't it also true for your family? Absolutely. He's not leading us into a place of disqualification and despair. He's leading us down the path of victory. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We'll pick up in verse 12. Victory. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Isn't it good sometimes when it's just very plain, very clear in the word? Lord, I just don't know what your will is. Deuteronomy ten twelve. Here we go. 
What does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God. We were talking about the Nephilim of your fear earlier. When we begin to turn our heart towards God and fear Him and not fear anything else, that is the first requirement to begin to walk down the path of victory. Take your eyes off of every natural thing. Begin to get the mind of Christ. See that He is able to lead you down that path of victory. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing is impossible for the God that we serve. And that's true about Him and He resides within us. Then nothing is impossible for us. So we begin with that fear, the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways. See, we begin with that right reverence of fixing our eyes fixing our fear upon him and nothing else. And then we are able to begin to walk rightly in all his ways. Say all of his ways. All his ways. He is leading us all the way, so we must follow all the way. Well, then that begins the, uh, the next step of to love him, right? If you love me, you will obey my commands. How many times has the Lord just grabbed a hold of your heart and said, hey, hey, Quit being terrified. Quit being afraid. Fear on me. Fear me, not the circumstance in front of you, not your own deficiencies, your lack of strength to complete what I called you to do. Begin to put one foot in front of the other. Take the next step of what I'll show you. Like Pastor Wade said earlier, you don't need to know the whole plan before you begin to walk. You just need to start walking. And when you begin to start walking with those steps of obedience and out of trust and faith, you then begin to demonstrate a love for him. Lord, because I love you, I'm going to trust that you have the entire plan. You know all the way before I do. That love then enables you to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. Say all your heart. All your heart. With all your soul. Say all your soul. All your soul. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees I am giving you today. But there's one little last tagline to that verse, right? That I'm giving you today for your own good. Come on, man. The word that came from Miss Joellen this morning during worship is that your vision is too small. Lift up your eyes. God has bigger plans for you than you have for yourself. Elevate your priesthood so you can have a perpetual priesthood. And as we begin to face our own fears, crush them, align our fear with the God of heaven, you know what we find? That every bit of difficulty of accomplishing that is for our own good. Because he has in mind for us to lead us in all of his ways so we could follow in all of his ways. Pastor's saying some, something that's incredible here. In the beginning of Deuteronomy, what were they grumbling inside of their tents? That God has brought us out of this to destroy us, to disqualify us, to harm us, that God somehow has this bad intent of why he's trying to push us and bring us and carry us into the promised land. But see, by this point in Deuteronomy, they're starting to get it. They're starting to know if they actually fear the Lord and walk in all the ways that he's given then what it's do it's for our good. What he's doing right now in your hearts, the things that are getting exposed, are for your good. Yeah. They're for your progress. They're for your blessing. It is for your good that the Lord is doing this. Take a look at Deuteronomy 11 and see how this continues on. Yes, flip one chapter to Deuteronomy 11, 18. Victory when you're there. I, I don't want broken vision. 
I, I, I don't have a desire for my vision to be broken. Deuteronomy 11, starting in 18, is the very thing that will fix our broken vision in this place. Yes. Look at that first word. Fix. That's kind of a play on words. Amen. I did not mean to do that, but thank you, word of God. <laughs> fix these words of mine. What words are we talking about? Somebody hold up what we're talking about. There we, there we are. Fix those words of God in your hearts and minds. You see, fixing God's word in your heart and in your mind, fixing fixes a broken heart and fixes a broken mind. It fixes that vision. When they are in there, fixed in there, then those things get fixed. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Man, I kind of wish that I did that today, huh? I kind of wish that I had these teflon tied to my wrists, tied to my head, so that I knew that everything that I thought would be filtered through God's word. Everything that I did with my hands, everything I extended my hands to, was filtered through what the word of God commanded me to do. That fixes something. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. How many days is that? That's a lot. All the days that the heavens are above the earth, that's every single day that there's been. Literally. Except for the first two. Every single day that there has been. Since the first two days, this is what's supposed to be happening. We're going to fix the word of God on us so that our vision gets fixed this morning. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. Now that we've allowed the law to thoroughly, to thoroughly begin to deal with our hearts today to incline our hearts to understanding that if he's going to lead all the way, we have to follow all the way. When he leads all the way, we follow all the way. That's all we have to do. He's going to keep leading all the way. We're going to keep following all the way. Look at Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. Say victory when you're there. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. Glad they left that place. That's right. After three days, somebody say three days. Three days. The officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. These are not suggestions. These are orders. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, when you have allowed the word of God to get in your mind and to fix your heart and to fix your mind and to fix your vision, when you see the presence of God and the priests who are Levites carrying it. See, we are moving from just... This is a group of priests. If you read this passage and you only make it about the men standing on a stage, you've missed the point. When you see the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and your fellow priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. You are supposed to dislodge yourself from where you're sitting. You're supposed to get up from the way of thinking. You're supposed Victory. 
You are supposed to change your microphone if you have to. You are supposed to change anything that it takes. If you're going to allow something to distract you from what God's doing, so you've got to get up and move out from that position. You can't keep going to something that doesn't work for you. See, the batteries are drained on that and you're still trying to hold on. Ain't nobody listening to you. Come on. Pastor Wade, a homiletic blade, man. Come on. You're supposed to move out from your positions and follow the presence of God. Follow, because he's leading all the way, so you got to follow it all the way. Then you will know which way to go. How many people sit with us, with the men on this stage, and be like, I'm not sure what to do? If you are walking in the way, you will know which way to go. Because his footprints there, even though you couldn't see it to start with, he's laid out the path before you. He's got his presence going before you. He can help you. Since you've never been this way before. That's so true. You've never been this way before. See, I've, I've had some victories in my life, Pastor. I mean, I've been in church before. But what God is calling us to as a church right now is something entirely different. It's something entirely better. He's calling us into a new realm that some of those enemies that used to just, we just expect to see them again and again. We were measuring our time in between the failures instead of knowing that we had completely conquered something. Amen. See, we've never been this way before as a church, but God has gone before us. And all we have to do is watch the presence of God before us and move from our position. How can you watch the presence of God and stay where you are? It goes on to say, but keep a distance about a thousand yards between you and you and the ark. You know why? In the process of this, you have to remember how holy, how anointed God's presence is. Man, we are empowered and, and we have a reverence for the holiness of God. You know why else I think it said keep a distance? Because sometimes if you get too close to something, you can't always realize the trajectory of where it's going. Is that straight? I don't know if it's straight or not. Let me back up for a second and get a better perspective on how straight this is. Let me see where my trajectory is. Let me take a step back here. This is not us running away from God's presence. It's us watching it in such a way. It's a distance required for reverence for his presence. That we're not running all up all on it and getting in front of it going, yep, I'm following God. Where is it? Jeez, I I don't know. Maybe it got behind me. Maybe it stopped and I didn't notice it. Maybe he's saying that this is where the path veers and I want you to follow me. You have to have enough distance between you and the ark so that you can follow it because you've never been this way before. Come on now. You've never been this way before, but it's all right because he already has the path laid out for you. Amen. Church, I see a connection between Joshua 3, the passage just read, and Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. When you begin to fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, it fixes your eyes on his presence. It fixes your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant that's a thousand yards in front of you. That means that you're at the proper distance and the right level of reverence, not too far behind and not too close, giving honor, reverence, and holiness to his presence. You know what that looks like for us practically? That the more that I begin to put the word of God inside the center of my being, the more sensitive I am to his presence. I am staring at it. I can recognize it. I can fix my eyes upon it. I can watch it conquer giant after giant in front of me. 
And I know that when I come to that giant, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Victory. Because I fixed his words in my heart, in my mind, my eyes are fixed on his ark of his presence. I know that victory is ensured. And that victory for you leads to a victory for your family that then leads to a victory for an entire nation. Exactly like this sign above us says. But let's turn to Isaiah 42. We'll read in verse 16. pastor was talking about you have never been this way before. Having not been down a certain path of God's will before. You know, there was a point in our history at LCM where we had obeyed the voice of the Lord to start a church in a home. To build out a garage. To build out another garage. To build out a storefront. But there came a certain point when our experience was maxed out. That we just hadn't been this way before. We hadn't seen someone establish a one association of churches. We hadn't seen someone successfully send out five-fold ministers and raise up pillars in the house of God. And when we began to do it, We did it with the utmost trust and faith that God has already been down this path before. And he's going to lead us down the path of victory to do it again and again and even do more and more. But in that moment of transition from what we were familiar with to what we were not familiar with, we felt a bit blind. Lord, I just can't see it. I know it's there. I trust that you're going to lead us in victory, but I just can't see it. Help me. This is where Isaiah 42, 16 picks up. This is the Lord speaking, says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. That's a statement that should endear. It should elevate your trust in just who God is. He will call you to do things that you do not have the ability nor opportunity to plan out. That you cannot see the end from the beginning. Why? Because he is the only one who will get glory for the accomplishment of it. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. We have a God who will not abandon us like orphans, but he will stand in the midst of our chaos and bring his shalom and bring his right order and bring his holiness. He deserves our full level of trust when we cannot see what our future looks like. That's exactly what faith and trust is. But there's a particular word in Isaiah 42, 16 that I want us to focus on. It is the word guide. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. Let's pull up the slide. Strong's number 1869, Dirac. Now, when I first read this verse... In the context, I will lead the blind. And along, along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I can't help it. I'm just thinking of a guy walking around with a, a blind guy, walking around with a stick. You know, the white one with the red tip. Tap, 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 tap. And so, in, in this manner, well, guide is kind of a gentle term. It's, it's you know, 
it's not fully descriptive of how exactly God is going to guide me when I can't see the future. This word, Darak, Strong's number 1869, it means to tread. It means to bend. It refers to walking on, over, or along, or to pressing something under one's foot. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. I think I'm getting this revelation. That means when I am standing in the place of obedience, being called to do something that I do not have the strength to do, and I cannot see the end from the beginning, that means that God in me is going to give me the strength and power to press every obstacle underneath my foot. That means he's going to give me the courage to confess. He's going to give me the constitution to circumcise. He's going to give me the power to conquer and gain a perpetual crown. He gives me the power to trample my sinful nature. He gives me the power to speak to demonic powers and rebuke them in the name of Jesus. And they have to flee because I'm a son of God filled with the power of God. It also means to defeat enemies by treading on them. Oh, this is so much better than just the word guide, right? I'm talking about not... Not only just knocking down your enemies, but stomping and grinding them. And I'm talking about your sinful nature. Not just ignoring your sinful nature, not just pushing down your sinful nature, but curb stomping your sinful nature. Gaining, conquering, and victory over it every single time. Darak is such an amazing word because the first two definitions you can see, tread or bend. That's really interesting when you look at one of the last definitions there that says directing or bending a bow. It's almost like this verse deals with the internal things that we're struggling with that we need to stomp on and also the external things that are still far off. And we bend that bow and we shoot our arrows and we're able to defeat the enemy that's still far off that hasn't yet come to us. Yeah. You see, Darak is a word that both deals with the internal struggles that we have with sin and also gives us vision to deal with the things that are coming along that path that will be a a difficulty for us, but that we can deal with right now. Look, it enables us to have a spiritual walk in high places made possible by the Lord himself. This is how we elevate our priesthood in this place today. We do it by derocking, by stepping on our own personal sin and having the vision to know where to shoot those arrows to defeat the enemy. Come on, let's turn to Deuteronomy 33, 29 that you see right there in the middle of your screen. We're going to talk about defeating your enemies by treading on them. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Say victory when you're there. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Come on, let's get there. It says this, blessed are you, O Israel. Who is like you? You know what we immediately want to think of when we hear the phrase, who is like you? Who do you, who do you immediately think of? The Lord. Who is like you, Lord? A name like Micah that means who is like our God, right? Who is, oh Lord, we think of, who is this talking to? It's talking to Israel. Blessed are you, O Israel. Who is like you? The people who are able to trample on their enemies. Who is like unto that? There's nobody that's supposed to be like a group of spirit-filled, word-centric people like LCM. Who is like unto you? A people saved by the Lord. See, it's not talking about the Lord. It's talking about the people who have been saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your helper. 
Well, that sounds just like a promise to Abraham, doesn't it? He is your shield and your helper, and he is your glorious sword. Come on now, your enemies, they will cower before you. That's enough of us cowering to our enemies, both internal and external. The enemies are supposed to be cowering to us. The gates of hell can't prevail against us. This is us trampling down. Look at the next phrase. And you will trample down their high places. Those things that your enemy finds valuable. The things that your enemy runs to to get strength. You're not even going to trample down your enemies who are cowering before you. You will trample down their entire system of existence. Who is like unto you, LCM? Who is like unto someone who has been saved by the Lord our God? This is what the word direct, by the way, it's where we get the word direct, your path. He's leading you down a pathway. He's leading you down a highway. He's leading you down a route. He's leading you somewhere. But what he's doing in leading you somewhere, he's going to lead all the way. But we got to follow all the way. And we follow all the way. That's us trampling our enemies at every turn. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 9. We'll read verse 13. Say victory when you're there. They're getting to the victory, Pastor. They're on the path to victory. Oh, they're on the path of victory. Look at that. I will bend. I will derock Judah as I derock my bow. Come on. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. And his quiver is full of them. You know what we're doing in this house? We are trampling sin underfoot so that we could be underneath that tension, that bending of the bow. What is a bow designed to do? It is designed to propel arrows to hit the target. You know what we're doing? We're raising up Chris Hall as an arrow that is going to be propelled. He is going to trample underneath his foot. Not only his own sinful nature, but the family that he will have in the future. He'll trample their sinful nature. He will storm the gates of hell and establish the kingdom of God at his doorstep. That'll happen for Josiah. That'll happen for Ibrahim and Eve. That'll happen for the, the John Dane Clang. That'll happen for every household that is willing to be established on the path of victory. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow. I will fill it with Ephraim, with a double blessing. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Come on, we are proclaiming the path of victory this morning, and it's one that will propel the generations to victory as well. He's leading us all the way, and we must, wait, hold on, Not only we must follow him all the way, we can follow him all the way. We have to. We get to follow him all the way, and we will follow him all the way. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord will appear over them. It's almost like he's helping us to get where we need to go. He's elevating us. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. Yeah, it's not a a nice, pleasant day where the Lord's marching and leading us. But we are gaining the victory. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. 
You see, as the Lord is loading his bow with arrows, as he's marching into the storm and leading us into that storm, he will be our shield in the weather. He will help us to bear the storms. He will help us to walk through the deserts. He will split the seas before us. He will split the Jordan to the right and to the left and give us safe passage all the way through. They will destroy. Who's that they? Yeah, it's us. It's us right here. It's you and me. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. This is a visual for us this morning like... So much joy. Joy is literally overflowing with us as we're following the Lord through difficulties. I mean, we can't help but to be joyful together like we're overcome with wine and we just can't hold it in anymore. That's the kind of overcoming joyful victory that the Lord is going to lead us in. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bull used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. We won't just be overflowing with joy. We'll be overflowing under the corners of the altar, preparing our hearts and preparing our families and preparing the pathway for the sacrifice that will be necessary to walk along it and gain the victory. We had such a good time this morning studying. We were laughing. We, I, I literally laughed till I cried this morning studying with these guys. We had just the joy of the Lord in a victorious kind of way, and we were still trying to work through details, and we were laughing until we were crying. We were laughing, as some might say, like we had a roar as with wine. See, this is what your life is supposed to be. It's not that it's easy. It's that you have overcoming, overwhelming joy in what you're doing. Come on, enough of the sour pusses on your face here. you got to have a bright eye. you got to understand. The Lord their God, verse 16, the Lord their God will save them on that day. The Lord will save you on that day as the flock of his people. Those that he is leading all the way, he's going to save all the way. We follow all the way as he leads all the way. They will, where's my beautiful bride? They will sparkle in his land. Come on, Christy. Like jewels in a crown of victory. Come on now. How attractive and beautiful they will be. What makes you attractive? Being radiant with the joy and the victorious attitude that comes from being in Christ. from Comes from following all the way what He's leading all the way. How attractive and beautiful they will be when you are victorious. Boy, that's nothing like a victorious church. I tell you this as your pastor because I love you and I'm being honest with you. When you are doing well, you have a different countenance when you walk in the door. This goes for men and women. I can see when a woman is in right shalom with her husband because she's beautiful. I can see when a husband is in right relationship with the Lord and is leading his wife well because he is attractive. See what the Lord, you can see it on somebody when they're walking rightly in shalom, when they are overcoming their enemies, both external and internal. They are trampling and with the bow taking care of the enemies that are before him. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. Wow. These are the results of you walking and following all the way what God is leading all the way. Wow. You even get better looking. The point is, is you've got so much joy going on that you become radiant in his presence. Amen. 
Speaking of young women, I'm raising up four daughters. Four daughters who are being trained to trample sin underneath their foot. Four daughters who are being refined and polished into a jewel that is fit to be in a crown of a king. Women who understand, are familiar with, and intensely pursue victory with the king of kings. That's the kind of women that we're raising up in this house. Women who are familiar with winning, winning through the shalom and right order that God has given them. Bringing their husbands praise and glory at the city gates. Likewise, for us men, we have the ability to let our homes be a radiant and sparkle of God's glory. It is to our joy, it is to our glory as men to have families that rightly reflect the glory and presence of God. That's what we're after. Let's turn to Psalm 119. We'll start in verse 35. Chloe, are you there? Emmy, are you there? All right. Direct me. This word direct is the Strong's number in Hebrew word we read earlier, Darak. Lord, enable me to trample underneath my feet. It's a cry. It's a call for help and empowerment. Direct me in the path of your commands. You know what the path of victory is established by? The commands of the living God. Even when Jesus was being tempted in the desert as the perfect son of God, how did he trample the temptation? With the word. With the commands. That his father had already given him the path to victory. That was found in the very word of God. And he was the word of God. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart. Everybody say, turn my heart. Turn my heart. Well, this is that that cry for as we are, are longing for the Lord to trample underneath our foot our sinful nature. We're asking the Lord to turn our heart towards his statutes. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not towards selfish gain. You see the comparison. That when you begin to interact with the Word of God, it will reveal, it will bring to the surface every bit of selfishness that you have. And the point is that it's exterminated. That that giant is annihilated. It's trampled underneath your feet. And it's His commands and statutes that do it. Verse 37, turn my eyes. Everybody say, turn my eyes. Turn my eyes. Turn my eyes away from worthless, from empty things. Preserve my life according to your word. Nick was mentioning earlier about fixing his word upon our hearts and our minds. When we begin to fix our hearts on his word, we are then able to fix, to turn our eyes towards the one who can save us from death itself. But really, let's, let's think about that. Save us from empty pursuits. Save us from fantasies. Those fantasies of what you imagined your life should be like, but God just won't let you have it. Let's destroy those imaginations in the house of God this morning. Let's allow it to be replaced with the path of victory. Lord, whatever you have in store for me, that I want. Let it destroy those 
worthless things. The very end of this verse says, preserve my life according to your word. You should have a footnote in your Bible that says, according to the Masoretic text, it reads like this. Preserve my life in your way. Preserve my life in the path of victory. In the way that you walk, the way that you are a thousand yards ahead of me, and I fix my heart, I fix my mind on your presence and your commands. That's how I preserve my life. Come on, Luke 10, verse 17 is going to build on that. Let's go together, Luke 10, 17. Victory. Victory. That is what we are gaining this morning, victory. We're not just gaining it this morning, we're learning how to walk in it. We're not just learning how to walk in it, we're learning how to transfer that walk to the next generation. Luke ten seventeen says, The 72, or 70, returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They came back and they were joyful, but they didn't exactly know where that joy came from. They thought it was because the demons were submitting to the name of Jesus. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You see, Jesus always comes with that spiritual perspective. I don't know why exactly, but it always seems like he has that right vision. Like, oh no, I saw what was actually happening. Satan was falling like lightning as you guys were walking. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all. Somebody say all. All. All the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Look at verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, it wasn't because the demons were being cast out that they came back with joy. It was because they came back and they had an understanding. Oh my goodness, I'm walking on this pathway of holiness and righteousness. That's where my joy is coming from. The hardships are coming into my life. There's opposition on all sides, but I'm walking on the path and it's producing joy for me. Come on, somebody lift up a shout of hallelujah. When we walk on the pathway of holiness, that's what produces joy. And the byproduct is that things are being tread under our feet and they cannot stand in our presence. Let's turn to Revelation 19. Man, what a strong word that he has given you power to trample on the snakes and the scorpions and to overcome all the external things, the internal problems that you have. You have overcoming power. Look at Revelation 19 and verse 14. Say victory when you're there. The armies of heaven were following him. You know why? Because he leads all the way. And that's what an army does. They follow all the way. The armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses. Is this Jesus riding on the white horse? Or is this the army riding on the white horses? Horses. And dressed in fine linen. White and clean. That your righteous actions were there. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. With which to strike down the nations. So if our great king, the one who's leading this army, is going to have the word, he's going to have out of his mouth come a sharp sword to defeat the nations, how are you going to defeat the nations that are opposing you? You're going to have the sword come out of your mouth. 
See, you are already granted this status that you are part of the army of the Lord. Now follow Him all the way. Have the Word of God coming from your mouth and it will trample the nations, (laughs) the enemies, both foreign and domestic, the ones that are far off and the ones that are internal to you. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. See, He is the one who has gone before us. Though the footprints we could not always see, He has gone before us. He has led us in the way that says, you will derock exactly as I am derocking. You are going to tread the winepress. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed His faithful lightning and His terrible Swiss sword. His truth is marching on. See, we've changed those lyrics so much we don't realize that even some of the songs that we had as a nation were trying to evoke the same spirit that if we can walk in the way that the Lord walks, we might gain victory. See, we have lost that. You thought that a lot of other words were attached to that. He is the one who is treading out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Upon whom? Upon all enemies, both foreign and domestic. The ones that were external and the ones that are still down there internal. He has given you victory on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written. This is the way that he's going to lead you. This is the all the way that he is showing you. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. When he leads all the way, we follow all the way and we get victory all the way. This is exactly what God has for us today. Let's go to Romans 16, verse 20. Say victory when you're there. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under whose foot? Yours. See, we have an established path of victory. One has been demonstrated for us by the King of Kings and by the Lord of Lords. He has trampled death. See, no, nobody understands that without that resurrection power, there is no victory. If Christ had not raised from the dead, our faith is futile. But because he has risen from the dead, it means that even the power of death is overcome. Sin is overcome. We've quoted this verse so many times throughout the years. And the primary focus is that we'll soon crush Satan underneath our feet. We're to walk in that same path of victory that our king has. But there's a requirement, something that we saw this morning. This verse begins with the declaration, the God of peace, the God of shalom. The path of victory is established by the God of right order. That path of victory means getting your heart, getting your mind, your will and emotions, even giving, getting your physical body in order in obedience and willingness with the King of Kings commands. That when we begin to walk in right order, we then are able to walk in the victory that will soon crush Satan underneath our own feet. 
Well, what is it like in those moments where there is chaos? There's chaos in your own heart. There's chaos in your mind. There's chaos in your home. And you begin to shake yourself and say, this is not victory. This is not what the blood of Jesus purchased for me. And you begin to stand up and walk in obedience and say, I'm going to take out my stones. I'm going to take out my Nabal and Abigail card. I'm going to put into practice what the pastors have given me. And it's going to be difficult. But as I do it, I begin to get my heart, my mind, my will and emotions in shalom. And what is it like when you begin to put that chaos underneath your foot? It is victory. It is victory for you, for your spouse, for your entire home. Then in a matter of minutes, you can go from absolute chaos to absolute victory. Standing and with joy, willing to be holy. A joy in pursuit of holiness. That's what we're trying to cultivate. Is a hunger, a desire, and the joy of being holy as our God is holy. Because if he's leading us all the way, we can and we must follow him all the way. He has victory in store for us. And that on a daily basis and an eternal basis. Look at the next line in Romans 16 verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is the beginning of walking on the path of victory. Is His grace powerfully working in us? Let's turn to Titus 2 and verse 11. And let's read this together. This pathway of victory can only be attained when we're walking in the power of the grace of God working in us. Powerfully, not just a little bit, not just once every few days. No, God's grace working powerfully in us. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Yes, it has appeared to you. It has appeared to me. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This gives me such a desire when I read this verse. When I think about the way to walking on this powerful path of victory, it starts with a powerful act of grace in my own life. Walking on this path, it's guaranteed, but it also takes an act of God. It also takes His power working powerfully inside of me to conquer the sin, to literally put my head on the neck of that sin and say, no more. No more. You will not live in me any longer. I will tread on you. I will leave you behind. I'm going higher. I'm elevating my walk. I've got somewhere to go that the Lord's leading me and you cannot come with me. See, we think about Romans 16 as being the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And we think about the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you as a secondary thought, as a pleasantry on the way out of the conversation. It's not. It's the key to being able to crush this enemy underneath your feet. You need the grace of God that teaches you to say no to those worldly passions. Look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, you know what you're doing while you're waiting for the blessed hope? You're crushing the enemy. 
You're trampling on them. You are derocking the, the enemy in each of these ways. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I wonder what that's like. Oh, wait a minute. We just read Revelation 19 and we know what it's like when he appears. He is trampling his enemies underfoot. And he's teaching us because he's leading us all the way. How did we put the enemy underneath our feet? Church, you have to put the enemy underneath your feet. You have to crush the enemy. I think it's easy for the external enemies. Truth, truth be told. I think when someone is opposing you directly, I think you learn how to deal with that. I think that's the easy version. I think the external enemies are the easy ones. Because the battle is public, the enemy is public, and whether you win or not is public, so you have to deal with it. The internal enemies are what we have to reflect in putting underneath our feet and trampling them. Look at verse 14. The great and glorious appearing of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Listen to why he gave himself for us. To redeem us from all wickedness. And to purify for himself an entire people that are his very own. Why did he come to save you? To redeem you, buy you back from your wickedness and to purify you, to purify me, to defeat those internal enemies. Eager to do what is good. He's not trying to purify you. You shouldn't be grumbling inside of your tent like they did in Deuteronomy. Thinking that he's only done this to harm you, to hurt you, to despise you, to disqualify you. He's done this, a purification process in a continual fashion is so that you can have the good of being those that he calls his own. Come on now. This is a good word for us today. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter four. As you're turning there, we have Titus 2.14 still on the screen. To purify for himself a people that are his very own. It's a joy to be purified. It's victory to be purified. And it ends with eager to think what is good, right? Nope. Eager to do what is, good. what is good. When we begin to put action to our pursuit of holiness, we begin to see the fruit of that purification. That eagerness, that godly sorrow that produces in us the pursuit of the path of victory. In Ephesians 4, 21, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off. Everybody say put off. Put off. To put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Well, you know those moments when the Word and the Spirit were in agreement and they smacked you right in the forehead. They woke you up. They woke you up to what holiness actually was. And after that confrontation, there began to be a purification of your heart and your mind. As we make the effort to put off our old self 
and its deceitful desires, we then have the ability to do what verse 23 says. To be made new. Say made new. In the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see what Paul's direction is leading to? The, the process of purification is so that you can stand before God in true righteousness and holiness. There is confidence when you can stand before God in true righteousness and holiness. There's confidence to know that he can hear what you're asking of him. There's confidence for you to know that what he speaks to you, it is clearly from him, and you can put your full level of trust and obedience to take the next step, no matter how treacherous it may seem. We are pushing, we are wanting to achieve this level of true righteousness and holiness. Because it is the very means by which we are able to walk on that path of victory. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. It says it this way. Since we have these promises, dear friends. What promises are we talking about? Well, for us this morning, I can say with confidence, promises that the Lord will go before us on the path. Promises that the Lord will take us on this pathway of holiness. Promises that He will blaze the trail. Promises that it will be difficult and full of opposition, but that He will help us. Promise that if we are involved in all of the path. What's that phrase, Pastor Wade? When He leads all the way. Promises that He will lead us all the way. And promises that we will in turn follow Him all of the way. Amen. Those kind of promises. Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. I'm not content with looking good on the outside of the cup. I'm not content with polishing the outside of my bowl, but inside having things that aren't matching up. I'm not content because I know that I'm not going to be standing before Abimbola during Judgment Day. And saying, Abimbola, how did I do? Oh, well, Nick, I, I saw these things on the external and it looked pretty good. That's not what Judgment Day is going to look like. I'm not content with the outside of my bowl looking sparkly, but the inside not looking sparkly. I need the inside of myself to be squeaky clean. I don't want filthiness of my flesh to remain. In fact, I want to perfect holiness out of reverence for God. You see, when the Lord brings a word about fear to us this morning and encourages us out of it, part of that encouragement is, hey, stop having misplaced, misdirected fear in your life. Direct it towards me. Direct it toward that altar that's a thousand yards ahead of you. Direct your vision towards me. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look at these things because it only produces misplaced fear in your life. Look at the ark of God. Revere the ark of God. Revere the pathway that He's leading ahead of you. And it will help us perfect that holiness inside and out. Amen. Don't you love the phrase perfecting holiness? Yes. That means you can both have holiness now and know that you need to work on holiness. That you can be walking in a, in, in, a, in a pathway of holiness now, but know that you have not yet perfected it. So that's what we're doing today is we're perfecting it. So as we get ready to start the closing here, I want everybody to sit up straight. 
I do not want you to miss what it takes to perfect the holiness in your life. If you are sleepy, tell yourself to wake up. This is not a time for us to move and go to the restroom. This is a time for us to actually realize that God is laying out a path before us and he's going to lead us all the way. And we're going to follow all the way to what he has, which I'm already telling you ahead of time before we get there is to perfect your holiness. Are you guys with me? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and let's look at verse 10. It says this, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. We keep hitting on the same points today. We keep saying, uh, let me just make it very, very plain. The reason that we started in Deuteronomy was one, because that's what I've been studying. It's just genuine to what I have been studying and what the Lord has been speaking to me. I shared it with my brothers. It moved them, and so we put it in the sermon. Number two, when I saw the part about grumbling in the tent, I knew by the power of the Holy Spirit that this is what we are doing as a people group. We're grumbling in our tents, and really the presumption is, is that it's because God is not for us. He's trying to harm us instead of help us. God disciplines us for our good, but why? So that we can perfect his holiness, so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. If what's going on in your life, you say it's pleasant, you're either speaking by the spirit of God or you're not actually going through any discipline right now. Because it hurts when you get disciplined. That's the point of discipline is to say, you need to move from your position and follow what I'm doing. If I don't get you to move, you will miss the fact that the ark has gone away and you haven't noticed it. I'm disciplining you for your good. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, somebody say later on. on. Some good news. It produces. The painfulness of his discipline produces a harvest of righteous actions and shalom within yourself and your entire family. For those who have been trained by it. You don't go to the gym and get trained in a single day. You may have paid, you may have paid a trainer to do that, but you are not yet trained. The trainer's there to make you do what you don't want to do or wouldn't do on your own. A harvest of righteousness and peace is what is produced by the discipline of God for those who will follow all the way, who will be trained all the way, as God is leading all the way. Let's continue on in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen. Say strengthen. Strengthen. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What we just got through reading in the previous verse in 11 is that there is a hope. There is a hope that if we are disciplined, trained through that discipline, we will produce a harvest of righteousness and shalom. That we're able to endure whatever is not pleasant and actually rejoice in the fact that the Lord is allowing us to share in His holiness. 
And that coming through discipline. That strengthening of your feeble arms and weak knees allows you to grow up and mature in the Lord. Begin to handle the right weight. Begin to be able to fight battles that you were defeated by previously. Overcoming fear, number one. And in turn, making level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled. You know what happens when I begin to walk in a level of trust that the Lord is leading me all the way and I must follow Him all the way? It begins to take my lame walk and make it a strengthened walk. And not only that, what I am receiving from the leading of the Lord into His holiness by His discipline training me, I am also in turn able to do the same for the dependents and disciples that God has given me. I'm able to demonstrate that for my daughters and demonstrate that for everyone who is attached to this discipleship process. Isn't it true that whenever you look forward and you see someone else conquering fear and you're watching them use the word to do it, and but boldly stepping out, maybe even trembling as they do it, it inspires you to do the same? That in turn, the next day, though you're facing something of lesser intimidation, you still are able to rally the courage to step forward. You are strengthening your feeble arms and your weak knees. That's exactly what's happening in this church. That we are elevating our priesthood. We are strengthening our feeble arms and weak knees because what we desire is the healing and salvation for others who have a lame walk so that they can have a strengthened walk. Why do we get disciplined? Somebody look in verse 10. Why do we get disciplined? That we may. Now jump down to verse 14. Make every effort. Why is this so important? Because we're commanded, make every effort. We're commanded this morning, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Yeah, God disciplines us because He wants us to share in His holiness with Him. He wants us to be holy as He is holy. Why is holiness important? Because we can't see Him without it. We can't participate with Him without it. Nobody can see Him if we're not participating in His holiness. We are nearsighted and blind and we are destroyed. But if we are participating in that holiness, then we can see it. Others can see it. The next generation can see it. I want to be holy, church. Turn to Isaiah 35, 8. We're on the last few scriptures. We've been talking about a God who will lead us all the way on a path that He has preordained, that He has set before us. We talked about that it is His goal in us. It is His desire for us that we're trampling on the enemies. But we want to show you this so that you understand the pathway that He's actually laid out and where it begins. And a highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. See, we are moving you right now to be understanding that you have to perfect your holiness. You have to make every effort. You have to fix your eyes. You have to walk in victory. Why? Because the way is of holiness. Of enemies. 
that are external, of the enemies that are internal. They cannot get victory over you because you must walk on the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on this way. It will be for those. What will be for those? The pathway, the highway, the roadway towards victory of the victory that is from the heavens, it will be for those who walk in that way. That way of holiness. That way of perfecting the holiness within our minds, within our actions, within our attitudes, within our hearts, within our days, within our weeks, within our families. is is the way. This is the way. Those who are unclean will not be able to walk on it. This is not talking about when you first got saved. Well, I got clean then. I got clean two weeks ago, Pastor. What about today? We are perfecting the holiness here so that we might elevate our priesthood and walk and follow all the way that He is providing for us. Wicked fools will not go about on this. (laughs) He's given us a way to walk in. When you're grumbling in the tent, you're being unclean. When you're out of shalom, you're being unclean. The Lord has for us to be holy this morning. Somebody say, perfect my holiness, Lord. Perfect my holiness, Lord. If He's leading us all the way, and leading us all the way into holiness, we must respond with following all the way into holiness. Let me quote something for you. Psalm 51 was what we've been focusing on for a couple of weeks. In verse 10, we're very familiar with created me, a pure heart, O God. That's a cry for holiness. Lord, make my heart new, fashion it. Let your hands craft a new and pure heart within me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So not only are we crying for the holiness of God, To give us a new heart. Lord, give me a heart that will continually seek after your holiness. What we experienced two weeks ago was phenomenal. It was asking that same thing. Lord, we're going to confess because we want for you to create in us a pure heart. By that continual obedience of circumcising. Distancing ourselves from our flesh and our heart. It then allowed us to begin to conquer. Conquer the areas of our heart that we couldn't conquer before. Conquer the grumbling in our tents. Conquering the fear in our own hearts and minds. That it would lead to a crown. A crown of victory. A crown of perpetual victory. And to stay on that path of victory, we have to constantly be making every effort. Making every effort to get to that holiness. Verse 13 of Psalm 51 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Oh, what begins to happen when your heart gets right with God, when it is purified, when it is steadfast, seeking His holiness, then you're able to point out, to teach, to instruct others how to walk in that same path of victory that you're walking in. To be able to turn sinners from their ways to the highway of holiness that you're currently walking on. What we want, what we desire is holiness because what we desire is victory. And we find victory in His holiness. 
Let's stand up together. It's that moment that the Holy Spirit has been leading us to all morning. That moment is right now. Can we put Isaiah 29, 22 on the screen, please? The pathway to victory, it starts here. Therefore, this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the descendants of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Can you picture for me, when you see your child, when you see someone you're responsible for, and you realize the weight is on your shoulders to live a life of holiness because their holiness depends on it. Can you picture that with us for a moment? When you see your children, when you see your next generation, the Word of God says you will keep His name holy. You will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Next verse, please. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. As we gathered together this morning, this was one of the verses that the Holy Spirit was speaking to us loud and clear. Hey, I'm going to move this church. I'm going to move my people. I'm going to move their hearts today. I'm clearing out the pathway of holiness and victory for them. But this is the barrier of entry to that pathway of victory. But for those who have been wayward in spirit, I will allow them, I will enable them to gain the understanding that they need. I will remove the obstacles off of the way of my pathway of holiness and I will give them a straight path through the desert, through the opposition, and they will be victorious. The Holy Spirit was showing us this morning, those who were complaining, those who were grumbling in their tents, hey, That's going to go away. They're going to put their feet on the neck of that grumbling. They're going to put their feet on the neck of that complaining. And they will be able to accept the instruction from my mouth. It will rightly divide them. Our goal is that we get victory outside. Our goal is that we get victory externally. That we tread on serpents and scorpions. That we're able to cast out demons and see healings and see people come to salvation. But that external victory starts here. It starts internally. In these walls this morning, it starts internally in our own hearts this morning. To get the external victory, we need an internal purification. This morning, we're going to pray together and we're going to ask the Lord that our internal motivators, our internal thoughts, our internal desires match with the external power that He wants to bestow upon us today. Raise your hands and let's pray together. Respond as you need to respond. But internally, we're getting right in the house of God. Father, would you make us match today, Lord? 
Father, would you match our internal motivators to what you desire to see on the external of us, mighty God? Father, would you get us right internally today? Would you get us right in these walls, Lord God? Would you get our peace right with you today, Lord God? That we would be able to tread and demolish and destroy the powers of evil outside. Lord God, would you do what your spirit enables us to do today, Lord, in Jesus' name.